hallelujah to your name, Jesus. I just want to stay right here in this moment for a moment before we proceed into the word. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I can't praise him for you. You can't praise him for me. You have to use your own tongue. Because although he knows what you've been through this week, I don't. Amen. Ah, we have to take time to praise him for his excellent greatness, his goodness, uh, his might, his power, but most of all, his love. Oh, I thank God for his love. I thank God for his love on today. I thank God for his love today. He loved us before we loved him. Amen. Ah, he loved us when we were so unlovable. Ah, he loved us in spite of us. And still loved us even though sometimes we still get in the way. He loves us. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. For your unbridled, unfettered love. God has a love that holds nothing back. He has a no-holds-barred love. Uh, and all we have to do is receive it. That's all. All we do is have to receive it. It's just have to receive his love. Thank you, Jesus, for your 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 love. Your loving kindness, for it is better than life. Hallelujah. Father, we just come before your presence again, thanking you, praising you, needing a word from you, a reminder from you, Lord God. Lord, speak to us today. Speak through me today. Allow me to be a channel for your word. Allow us to apply it as the Holy Spirit leads us, Father God. In the name of Jesus, we give you praise, we give you glory, we give you honor. Amen. As I was pondering the last couple of weeks, and praying and seeking God as to where he would take us on this day. Uh, these two phrases or these two words actually dropped into my spirit and they are, but God. But God, right? And so I began to think about uh, this year compared to last year. But don't worry, I'm not going to give you a blow-by-blow -blow account. However, I would like to remind you that this time last year, even on this time, during this date on last year, we were unable, because of COVID, to gather together in the church building. We had had parking lot services, but because of COVID, we were not uh, able to gather together. So I'm thinking about that. And some just said, but God, amen. Uh, by the end of 2020, we had elected a new president and 
And although we were still going through a time of uncertainty, we were still looking forward to 2021. Amen? Amen. And I believe you agree with me in saying 2021 has been filled with ups and downs, right? Ins and outs, joy and pain. 2021 has been sunshine and rain. It's been happiness, it's been gains, it's been losses, a record number of homicides in Peoria, and not to mention the pandemic that we are still in. But I'm getting reports, or I heard a report that we may be out of it by January or February if we keep this trajectory. Amen. However, we still got this month and December to go. But God, right? Amen. The one thing about but is, is, the, is this small conjunction of the English language flows in and out of our conversations every day. But, right? Now, what is a conjunction? It's a word that connects phrases, clauses, and sentences. But is one, and is one, for is one. It's a conjunction. It hooks up things. Amen? But means on the contrary. It means except. And as a preposition, it means with the exception of, and it means save. As an adverb, it means only just. It means only or just. It is a small word, a three-letter word. However, it's useful in enhancing the meaning or surrounding words signaling an appropriate pause. Now, we use but a lot of times not in the positive way. I know it's been good, but. Right? I feel good, but. Amen. I had this, but. Amen. God has been good to me, but. Right? But when you use but God, it signifies a redirection in what we can accomplish in contrast to the power and works of God. So when we use but God, it signifies a redirection in what we can do, but then it focuses on what God can do. Amen? The phrase but God appears verbatim as an important concept throughout the entirety of the Bible. And as I've said many times, if you have the wrong concept when you approach reading the Bible, you will lead to a misconception. Amen? Though God is the author of every breath and blessing, our sinful nature continues to rebel against our great and loving Heavenly Father, right? It does, right? Hmm? The Apostle Paul wrote, let me give you an example, in Romans, you don't have to turn there, 715, New Living Translation, I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. (laughs) Instead, I do what I hate. Amen. I don't know about you, but I can relate to Paul, right? (laughs) Amen. I really don't understand myself, for I want to do what is right. (laughs) And I try to do what is right. And sometimes I get away with doing what is right. But there comes a time that even the same thing that I've done right in the past pops up. I end up doing or saying something wrong. Amen. Amen. So I can relate to Paul. Amen. 
This scripture that I just read describes the impossible escape from sin in this world. But let me let you in on a little secret. God is not surprised by evil, nor our struggle or nor your struggle with sin. Let me say that again. God is not surprised by evil, nor your struggle with sin. His response since the beginning of time has been to provide a plan of rescue and redemption. The sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the greatest expression of his love for us as his creation. John 3.16 says what? For God so loved the world that what? He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not what perish, but have everlasting life. So as you and I take a look or have looked just briefly over this past year, all we can stand up and say or sit down and say is, but God. But God. Amen. Now, one day in English one day, English clergyman and theologian and evangelist John Wesley was walking with a troubled man who expressed his doubt as to the goodness of God. He said, I do not know what I shall do with all this worry and trouble. At the same moment, Wesley saw a cow looking over a stone wall. And do you know, asked Wesley, why the cow is looking over this wall? No, the, no said the man who was worried. Wesley said the cow is looking over the wall because she cannot see through it. And this is what you must do with your wall of trouble. Look over it and avoid it. Amen. Even though you can't see your way through it, you can look over your trouble and just say, but God. But what we need to do is position our faith so that it enables us to look past our circumstances and say, but God. God has the final say. But in order for your but God to mean something, it needs to have something to stand on. Amen. You can say but God all you want, but if it has no, nothing to stand on or no firm foundation to put itself on, then your but God is merely words. So we're going to look at some, we're going to get some, uh, uh, something to stand on to say our but God, Okay. Let's go to Genesis chapter 6. Now, Genesis is, 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 of course, the first book in the Bible. So actually the book of Moses. In the first two chapters of Genesis, we had our pristine parents had unfettered access to God. And everything was good in the first two chapters of Genesis, right? Then Genesis chapter 3 happens. They fall and then we have everything that's bad enter the world. And by Genesis chapter 6, we have a man named Noah. Amen. And we're going to look at verse number one in Genesis chapter six. It says, and it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair or they were beautiful women. And they took them wives of all which they chose or they took their pick and they chose them. Amen. Verse number three, it says, and the Lord said, my spirit shall or will not always strive with man. Or another translation says, my spirit will not put up with humans. <laughs> Amen. 
for that he is also flesh because they are in the flesh, in other words. Yet his day shall be 120 years. Now, you have to remember at that time, it wasn't unusual for people to live well beyond 120 years. But God had to limit the lifespan of man because of what was going on with man. Amen. Verse 24 says there were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, they bare children to them. And the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. And verse number five says, and God saw that the wickedness of man was what? And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, or another translation says, consistently and totally evil. And God saw that. Don't you see? think that God sees all the evil that's going on now? Continually and totally all the evil that's going on even now. Amen. And verse 6 says, and this is the saddest verse almost, well, one of the saddest verses to me, it says, and it repenteth the Lord that he had made man on earth. Another translation says, so the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. And translation goes on, they say, it broke his heart. Think about that. God was sorry that he had created man and that it had broke his heart. It wasn't when Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the tree. It was right here in chapter 6 when men kept doing evil continually and totally that it repented God's heart or it made him feel sorry. And it broke his heart. Verse 7 says, and the Lord says, I will destroy man or wipe this human race completely out. Mm. Whom I have created from the face of the earth. Not only man, but both man and the beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air. For it repenteth me that I, God was so mad, he was going to wipe out everything. <laughs> everything not only man but the beast of the field the animal everything God was mad hmm. that's a little something to think about right but then God being who God is verse number 8 says but Noah found grace or favor in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 9 says, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just and just man and perfect in his generation. And another translation says, he was the only righteous man, the only blameless person living on the earth. So what, it, what does it take to get God to forget all mankind he only needs one blameless person to change his mind. 
from, re, from, from destroying everything on the earth. It only took the one blameless. One can chase a thousand. That's what the Bible says in Deuteronomy. Two can put 10,000 to flight. But one man can take God's ups, I'm putting the word up, upsetness and change the trajectory of what he wants to do with mankind. Amen. Drop down to verse number 11. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was what? Filled. There's nothing new under the sun, and people are trying to make everything that we see now brand new. The earth was filled with violence in Genesis chapter 6. <laughs> Amen. It was filled with violence. The sad part of it is believers are thinking that this is the first time this stuff is happening. That's the sickening part about it. But the Bible clearly tells us the Bible was filled with violence in Genesis chapter 6. Amen. And God looked upon the earth and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy the earth. But then because most, I mean, because Noah was a just man, a blameless man, he put, God put verse 14. Make thee an ark of gopher wood, rooms that shalt thou make in the ark, and thou shalt pitch it within, and pitch it without. And if you go on through it. He goes, he, in verse 17, look at that. And behold, even I do bring the flood upon the waters and upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein the breath of life from under heaven and everything that is in the earth shall die. But remember, God told Noah to make the ark, right? So verse 17, 18 says, but with thee will I establish or confirm my covenant that thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. And he goes on to tell them how to bring the animals with them, too. So because of one man named Noah, who was righteous and blameless before God, he got to bring his wife, kids, and some animals and keep God from destroying the earth. And in fact, God says, I will make a covenant with you, Noah, that I will not do this again. And, look at, and then it goes on the chapter, and then the flood came for what? 40 days. Y'all know that story. And for 40 nights. And then we get to chapter 8, verse 1. And it says, and God, another translation says, but God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. And God made a wind to do what? Pass over the earth and the water Sways or begin to recede. Amen. And here, or but God remembered expressly, concisely, the faithfulness of God. In other words, God is what? Faithful. God is and will always be faithful. Let me say that again. God is. And he will always be what? Faithful. Amen. His faithfulness speaks to the core of his character. 
that what that means is this. You can know for certain that he will do what he says he will do. Example is Noah. When God said he was going to destroy the earth, but he found Noah, and he said, no, I'm not going to destroy the earth, and I'm going to make a covenant with you and the animals. He didn't leave the animals out either. Amen. That I will not do this again. Amen. He is the same God you read about in the Bible, and his purposes remain the same, and his faithfulness is still active today. So what am I telling you? Don't give up hope. It looks bad, but violence was always in the earth. And it's always going to be in the earth until Jesus comes back. Hang your hope on God and his faithfulness because God has not changed. <laughs> Amen. God has not changed. And his faithfulness is not dependent on your faithfulness because he cannot deny himself. Amen. His faithfulness gives you confident hope. His faithfulness is abounding. His faithfulness is the foundation for all he does. God is not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should repent. If he said it, it's going to come to pass. Amen. Good and the bad. His faithfulness guarantees our, yours, and my forgiveness. His faithfulness means that we can have fellowship with him. His faithfulness provides the antidote to temptation. His faithfulness protects you. That's one you need to write down, put it in the tablet of your heart. God's faithfulness will protect you. Say this, God's faithfulness will protect me. He always has. And he always will protect me because of his faithfulness. Not our faithfulness, but his faithfulness. Amen. He, bottom line is this. He is faithful to you because he loves you. Repeat after me and say, but God. And that's because of his faithfulness. God always, God is always has been, and always will be faithful. Amen. Why? Because he said he would. And if he said it, you can bank on it. It's the absolute, unrefutable truth of the matter. I don't care what the world says and how much they doubt. I don't care even how much you doubt. If God said it, it's, all, it's settled. It's a subtle deal. If he said he said it in this book, the book Bible is the number one bestseller ever. The more they try to bury it, the more it keeps resurrecting itself. The more they try to prove it's a lie, the more they prove how true the Bible is. The more they drop God, the more God becomes more believable. Amen. This is a book that speaks to all of us, but it speaks to us individually. Say, but God. God is and always will be faithful. God is and he always will be your strength. Amen. 
Let's go to Psalm 73. Psalm 73, and we're going to look at verse number 24. Psalm 73, and we're going to look at verse, start at verse number 24. Amen? Psalm 73, the 73rd number of Psalm. 73, 73rd Psalm. It says this, Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon the earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth. Another translation says, my health may fail and my spirit may grow weary, but God is the strength or the rock of my heart. And he is my portion Forever, or he is mine forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a whoring from thee. Verse 28 says, But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. Now, Asaph who wrote this psalm, was one of David's worship leaders in the Tabernacle Choir. He was a skilled singer, and he was a poet, and he was a man of faith who acknowledged that God is good to Israel and all who are pure of heart. But he became discouraged and found that his faith wavered when he constantly saw how wicked men seemed to prosper and get away with all sorts of evil. I don't know about you, but I feel the same way. Especially after seeing case after case where unarmed black men have been killed and the perps get away with it or a slap on the wrist. I feel the same way after witnessing a former twice impeached president literally getting away with obstruction of justice and interfering with an election. Life seems so unfair to this man and his faith was sorely tired when he saw the ungodly prosper and increase in riches and popularity. Despite their oppressive ways, crooked schemes, and arrogant attitudes, and their foul mouths. This man of faith, the worship leader for King David himself, was getting a little weary. Remember, David is the man after God's own heart. And if the man that was worshiping with David and leading David in worship was getting weary, what chance do we have? So you getting weary is okay. You be in good company. Amen. Asaph knew that he led a decent, honest, and respectable life by comparison with these ungodly men. And life seemed so cruel and unfair to this man of faith. Maybe you have asked the same question he asked. Why does God allow bad things to happen to godly people? Hmm? Have you ever asked that question? Or even to yourself. Why does bad things, why does good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to seemingly good people? Right? Mm-hmm. That was a complaint in his mind just as it might be the question in yours. 
Why do evil men and women appear to remain untouched despite their wicked ways, scoffing tongues, and evil practices? That was the question on Asaph's heart. And that caused his faith in God to get shaky. Amen. But it was only when he sought God in his only his holy sanctuary and began to reflect on the unchangeable nature of his faithful God that Asaph began to understand that his question was founded on his own flawed understanding. In other words, his but God wasn't upon the firm foundation that it needed to be or he wouldn't have got shaky. Amen. Amen. And what, what, and what that all boils down to this is, and let me say this, don't let this moment cause you to lose your faith in God. Don't let your current condition dictate your position. Amen? Amen. Despite the anomaly that the Wicked seemed to prosper, and the godly was unjustly persecuted. Asaph came to the understanding that these men were on the slippery slope to eternal destruction, while God's grace that he was on was the narrow path that led him into the kingdom of God. Amen. In a moment, those in the moment, those wicked men and women and ungodly people, they're gonna be swept away. Just like for us. Don't get caught up in looking at those that are evil and they're seemingly, uh, seemingly prosperous here on earth. You keep sending up timber to the heavenlies. Amen. You keep sending your treasure up to the heavenlies because there's going to come a time when God is going to make all this right. Amen. And guess what? You need, we are living at a time where you need to make sure that you are sure that you know for sure that you are saved. Amen. I'm going to say that again. We are living at a time where you need to make sure that you know you are sure, that you know for sure that you are saved. Amen. You need to give God your burdens and he will give you his strength. You need to give God your fears and he will give you his comfort. You need to give God your anxieties and he will give you his peace. You need to give God yourself, and he will give you his life. Say it again. Say, but God. Mm. God is, and God always will be your strength if you let him. Amen? Last one, finally, is this. God is, and God always will be rich in mercy. Rich in mercy. Amen. Let's go to Ephesians. Chapter 2. God will be, God is, and always will be rich. Rich in mercy. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to start at verse number 1. And it says this. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sin, wherein time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of air, meaning the devil, and the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. 
Verse 3 says, among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. Verse 5 says, even when we were dead in sins, have quickened us together with Christ. By grace, you are what? Saved. Verse 6 says, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places or heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Verse number 7 says, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Verse 4 again, I'm going to read it in another translation. It says, but God is so rich in mercy. Verse 8, but for a, but God is so rich in mercy. Rich in this phrase is the Greek word pausius. It means to be fully resourced, abounding, and abundantly supplied. God is fully resourced, and he is abounding, and he is abundantly supplied in mercy. In other words, God will never run out of mercy. I'm going to leave that there. Let that settle for in your spirit. God will never run out of mercy. Huh. In this passage, Paul first describes humanity's deplorable condition and rebellion against God's rich mercy. They were, or we were not only sinful, but we were dead in our sins. It's easy to point to the Ephesians, but the same token as us. We were not only sinful, but we were dead in our sins. In other words, because of the sin nature that controlled us, we were doomed to an eternity without God and without life. In fact, we deserve God's wrath, and guess what? We couldn't do nothing to save ourselves. Then comes the but God. <laughs> and the focus of this passage shifts to God's mercy, God's love, and God's grace, and God's kindness. The phrase rich in mercy is a counterbalance to the description of humanity being rich in sin. God was rich in mercy, but we were rich in sin. Amen. As we read in chapter 6 of Genesis, they were rich, sin, rich in sin, wasn't they? They was rich in violence, weren't they? It made God so mad, he said, I'm just sorry. Amen. Amen. I got to take them out. God's Rich in mercy would conceive a plan to save and redeem such wicked creatures. Mercy is compassion or forgiveness extended to someone who deserves punishment or harm. Mercy is undeserved pardon. Mercy is the only explanation for Christ's great sacrifice on our behalf. Let me put it where the ghosts can get it. People can show mercy to one another on a limited human basis. But our offenses against God were so heinous, so unforgivable, that his forgiveness shows him to be more than merciful. He is rich in mercy. He is fully resourced and abundantly supplied in it. Amen. 
A God rich in mercy demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners or still sinners, Christ died for us. Because you cared or knew him, God had already extended his mercy towards you. In other words, before you cared and even before you knew God, he had already took care of it and extended his mercy before we were ever born. It was all a part of the plan of God. Even though they fell in Genesis chapter 3 and God wanted to take everybody out in chapter 6, he said in his covenant to Noah that I will not destroy man. In fact, I have a plan to redeem man. Amen. Which was actually revealed in Genesis chapter 3. Amen. Amen. Hmm. First Peter Chapter 1, verse 3 5 in the New King, 3 through 5 in the New King James says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse number three counters any tendency to believe that your salvation is due to some merit within yourself. We receive mercy and we didn't deserve it. Amen. God's mercies continue after salvation as he offers us, offers you and me forgiveness when we do sin. First John 1 9 says, what, is, what does it say? If you confess <laughs> your sins, I'm going to paraphrase it, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from your unrighteousness. Bottom line is this, too. His mercies are new every morning. His mercies never run, run out, and they renew themselves every morning <laughs> without even having to be plugged up. You never have to fear that one day God will be fed up and stop being patient working in your life. That's key. You don't have to fear that God will get fed up with you and stop being patient with you and stop working in your life because the Bible says that God is long-suffering and he is patient and he is kind and he can wait on us. Think about it. You need to declare and decree with me, but God. Think about this past year and just say, but God. It hasn't been a perfect year, but God. We've had many sorrows and many heartbreaks, but God. We've had some good things that happen too, but God. But God, but God, and you, need, you need to remind yourself that your but God is based on God is, and he always will be faithful. You need to remind yourself that your but God is based on God is, and he always will be your strength. You need to remind yourself that your but God is based in and on that he is and always will be rich in mercy. 
Think on that. So this week, as you're going through, just say, but God. But God what? He always will be faithful. But God what? He will always be my strength. But God, he is always rich in mercy. And then tell everybody <laughs> about your God. Amen. Because that psalm says, and I will declare the works of the Lord. We need to declare and decree it. God has been good in spite of. God is still good in spite of. God is still good in spite of all the violence. <laughs> it's nothing new to God. Amen. He can handle it. Amen. Stand to your feet. But God. But God. But God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But God. Father, we just thank you and praise you for your word on today. Thank you for the reminder that God, you are still God and you are in control of all of this. There's nothing that's happening in the earth right now that you had never seen or haven't heard about or even taken care of, God. So, Father, I ask you to continue to renew us, restore us, revive us, Lord God, to stand on our faith in you. That you are rich in mercy. That you are our strength. And that you are faithful, God. In the name of Jesus, we give you praise, glory, and honor. Amen. We worship you.